Hey there, listeners. This is DM Neil, here to tell you about the actual play podcast, The GM Showcase. Each game of The GM Showcase features a talented GM, as well as talented players, exploring a number of systems and settings. You should check out the game, The Coming of the Preacher, a part-time Gods of Fate adventure featuring Game Master Cinda, who is one of the hosts of the She's a Super Geek and Panda's Talking Games podcast. This game also features the players Phil Mainprize of DMnastics, Suzanne Wallace, the community manager at ID at Xbox, and Alex Jarzabinski, the executive director of Battle Bards, as well as myself. You can easily find the GM Showcase by searching Block Party Podcast Network on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the episode. Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and I have a very special guest, friend of the show, but I will let them introduce themselves. I guess I'm DM Craig. Is that how this goes? Yes, that is how it goes. You don't have to have an AKA, but if you have one, you can. Um, AKA, I'm Craig Campbell. Um, I'm the Nerdburger <laughs> Games guy at Nerdburger Craig. So today, Craig and I are going to be looking back at episode 136, Bringing the Magic of Magic to D&D. And this was enchantment plots, where it was all about enchantment items and things like that in and I came up with the idea for Diamnastics number 112, Legend, wait for it, Dairy Weapons. Mm, and for boo, anybody that does boo. not know, I know. <laughs> and for anyone that doesn't know, go watch How I Met Your Mother, then you'll know. <laughs> so jumping right into it, I am someone who plays Hearthstone, I would say casually, but consistently. And I came up with the idea of looking at some of the newer cards that were all focused on weapons and kind of throwing that to our forum users as to like who would have created it, how it works, the history behind it, and things like that. So we'll just jump right in. Craig, do you have one that you wanted to highlight? Um, yeah, I just uh, went through the, the ones that were selected or I guess written up here by uh, various people. And I'm a sucker for any weapon that is not bladed and um, has a you know a, an abil- abilities or background or whatever that doesn't have to do specifically with killing things because so many weapons mm-hmm. do, and so I, I picked the twig of the world tree. That's the one that kind of sang out to me a little bit. Uh, well, the the gist of it is that um, it's it's a quarter staff, but it's a, like it's a bit of the world tree. It's a bit of the thing that made. Um, you know, a great deal of the natural world. And so it has this whole story that's built around uh, the nature god, Obadai. And, uh, you know, as as they were dying, there was a little bit of energy that was suffused into it. And then a druid was able to take that to rebirth the world. You know, the uh, the description kind of went into like a little bit of actual history and uh, and dealing with uh, how the the, the twig of the world tree was used to uh, feed uh, a guess a whole group of starving elves and, and there's this all of this sort of nurturing wonderful naturey druidy hippie goodness that uh that that <laughs> kind of you know was kind of cool because you know a lot of weapons it's like you know well my my weapon kills the monsters the most and you know it was built for killing monsters and it's done so many monster killings that i just i just kind of dug that that this was actually a, um, a rejuvenating healing compassionate weapon 
That is awesome. Yes, and I really like that. So that was brought to us by DM Caleb, and I couldn't I couldn't agree more because you are right. Although, don't get me wrong, because now part of me really wants to make the weapon of monster. Oh, there's killing. nothing wrong with killing uh, monsters. We no, can do no. that. <laughs> but it's just that it's just that general too. It just kills monsters. Which kind? Monster kind. Uh, so, but in that same way, I think that's what drew me to. Rock Delar from MJ Rollins or Major Allins. I have never decided which that is. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> they chose a bow because I feel like, you know, and again, a lot of it's your hacky slashy kind of weapons that come to the forefront, like the Holy Avenger and things like that, that you're in some of the lesser known ones. Like, well, I don't know how cool I could ever make a sling, but a cool bow and arrow, I think, is also something to look towards. Now that said, this is a bit over the top because it is ready to rock the Casbah as it as it is. Oh, boo, and boo again! They oh, don't Strike worry. Two. It, was, it was created by the Clash, oh. a wandering band of bards who once roamed the land. Oh my gosh, it's difficult to get through this with <laughs> as straight of a face as I'm making, and it was wielded by Punky McClash the greatest fan of the clash Mm -hmm. and (laughs) my favorite thing is the magical effect on the weapon is sheriff. Don't like it. Rock Dillard prevents all silencing effects within 60 feet. (laughs) It is the anti-silence so that all music can always be heard when you're trying to rock to Casbah. Oh man. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know about putting it into a game, but I really like looking and reading it about it. <laughs> well, you know, there's something to be said for puns. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna poo-poo them too much. I make plenty myself, so we, yes. we can, we can let her slide there. Um, okay. Major Allen's is Major yep. Allen's Major Allen's. I don't know. Yeah, probably it's probably M J Rollins for first and second and first and middle initial. It does sound the best, but it might be Major Allens. Well, maybe we'll never know. But <laughs> Major Allens. <laughs> Going back to uh, How I yep. Met Your Mother. General yes, Disarray. That's awesome. Private parts. Uh, <laughs> general information. Uh, the And with those out of the way, we are going to start lifting the mental weights right now. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. Okay, so we're going to choose a few of the options that I put. And I put quite a few, but to keep with kind of the theme that we had of not necessarily choosing the hackiest and slashiest, we're going to pick the skull of the Manorai, which kind of looks like a demon skull. And I assume that because the card text says, at the start of your turn, summon a demon from your hand. One would assume so. And actually, yes. it kind of reminds the the Manorai with the with the apostrophe in the middle of it kind of reminds me of Tanari um, mm-hmm. from D&D. So yeah, I think that's probably where they're going. It's just a little play on that. Then you also have, I mean, so essentially we can run through the prompt who created the weapon. And my, my first instinct is that other demons did <laughs> like just that constant vie for power and figuring out how to use the remains of one demon to create more demons. Sure. So that is one way we could go. The assumption is that it summons an actual demon, like an existing demon. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder if a demon created it and ensorcelled another demon who was some sort of a uh, an enemy or you know someone who was standing in their way of something, and so that they would occasionally like in the hopes that they would be summoned elsewhere and you know be, become bound to serve to serve someone else or or be killed or something happened to them that would remove them from the initial the original demon's uh, way. Wow. So, the, so the, the, whenever that, whenever the one that's being summoned is getting summoned, he's actually being pulled away from dealing with his, uh, his hated demon enemy. Oh, I so like he's that. so he's extra angry. Yes, <laughs> I like that a lot, and I also like that, it, like the the idea of using the skull is like the actual demon's skull. That's why it's tied to the power and like actually, you know, it actually works. Opposed to you know, and opposed to all the rigmarole that you have to go through to summon a demon. Nope. You just take a skull and then you make that happen. I mean, I feel like we kind of hit on the magical effects for the weapon in game terms, but it's more of an item. So how would we make it an actual weapon? Well, I mean, it is a skull. So if it's, if it's in part, you know, if it's, if it's the skull itself is incomplete, it could be a helmet and, you know, there's nothing wrong with a headbutt once in a while. It does have like the 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 graphic on it. The illustration has some pretty fierce uh, like mandibles or something yeah. going on. Um, I wonder if you know if those uh, perhaps detach and become uh, two weapons. And while you're oh, wearing the wow. skull, and you got this also now you got this demon that comes with you, walking around with you. So you're walking around with this crazy demon skull on your head and these demon mandible things, um, kind of hooked, bladed oh. weapons um, and a demon, and you're you're pretty fearsome at that point. That's terrifying because I just envision like, yeah, like you said, you're already wearing it. You're already ter- you're like, scaring people. You break those off and then it summons forth. The- that's the action by which you summon forth the demon and yeah. then it starts attacking by your side. Yeah. And maybe you use those to direct the demon as well. They could be uh, like a somatic component for summoning and controlling the demon. Uh, and yep. if someone disarms you of one of them, then they can take control of the demon as well. And then it become then it becomes a force of will battle between the two people who have the two mandible things trying to control that demon. And now that demon is extra extra cranky. <laughs> I also like that now two people are out of the fight, looking like they're directing air traffic, just trying <laughs> to get this demon to do what they want. Awesome. I say we I say we have done it on that one, and we can move on to Dragon Soul which appears to be more of an amulet than anything else, and it has the card text, after you cast three spells in a turn, summon a 5-5 dragon, which is fairly powerful. And, I mean, of course, I I feel like we've focused kind of on summoning things. I wonder if there's a way we could, yeah, (laughs) where we could twist it where it's more of like the power of a dragon rather than necessarily the dragon itself. What if that dragon soul is actually like a sling bullet sized thing? Mm. And after you've uh, done the thing that you need to do, like casting three spells, or maybe, maybe let, you know, if it's a, if it's a dragon, if it's the soul of a dragon that had a fire breath, you need to cast three fire spells. And when you do that, um, like the next time, and as a wizard, you know, you're limited in your weapon choices and a sling might be one of them that you fire that sling bullet at someone and it erupts with like a, a fiery gout akin to the dragon's breath. That is super cool because now it's me not really remembering the mechanics of fifth edition. So this is where I cut words that I say out of a podcast, but the idea of using it as like a f- focus, 
You know, so it's almost like channeling a certain level like of fire spells, then it's empowered. And then you could throw it, like you said, at something where it'll cast a fireball or, you know, some gout of flame. And then, of course, the the immediate ability to open up all of the other ideas of cold and lightning and acid and essentially having all these other spells unlock almost f- for free when you're casting through the dragon soul as a focus. Sure. I mean, because a focus is, you know, in, is you, if you tell a wizard that a, a, uh, a cast a spell casting focus is not a weapon, they will slap you around and say it is absolutely a weapon. <laughs> it may not be a sword, but it's absolutely a weapon in my hands. Right? Yes. So the, the question is, who created the weapon? Well, who can bind a dragon's soul into a stone? Feels an awful lot like a god or a demigod or something something very powerful. Or unless the dragon chose to have its soul bound for some reason. There could be a whole story behind something like that. Yeah, because I'm I'm trying to decide, is it a, a, I mean, it sounds cliche now that I've thought too much about it, but is it a gift or is it a curse? Did the dragons willingly choose to do something like this to create this item to empower the players uh, with the power of dragons or or? Yeah, and like you said, is it some deity that has cursed you know dragons to essentially have their soul forced into these gems? Why does it have to be a boon or a curse? Why can't it be both? Say the the dragon upon its you know age old deathbed, it's it's actually dying of old age if that's what dragons do, you know, and it's going to go you know when it dies, its its spirit is going to be transported to the you know wherever the dragons go, right? or that that particular type of dragon goes, but the dragon has unfinished business left behind, so it allows its soul to be captured inside of a stone, thus keeping it from its its departed rest, wherever that ends up being. But in the process now gains a purpose and can be used by others to do the thing that it had left to do. And then once it's, perhaps it has a purpose, and once that purpose is fulfilled, then poof, away goes the dragon's soul. And it's just a, you know, plus one sling bullet or something like that afterwards. Returning sling bullet. That's it. Oh, absolutely. It's a returning sling bullet because it's, oh yeah, the dragon is also going to return. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I like it. Well, because then, yeah, because then at the end of the round, then you have it back to be your focus to cast through going forward. Yeah. Perfect. I also like the idea that the, that there'd be some level of communication between the dragon and whoever's wielding it. Oh Yeah. But the one thing that they won't communicate that I would definitely put in there is that because they made that choice, there is a like ancient Draco Lich out there somewhere because their soul has not gone where it needs to. <laughs> so their body is still wandering around. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. See, now you made it all terrible. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's good. I mean, I got to have a, a high level quest built into uh, an item like this. Sure. So perhaps the uh, yeah the, the dragon soul can't be released can't be released to its rest even after its purpose has been fulfilled until the bearer of the stone also then hunts down and kills the mm-hmm. dracolich. Yep, that's pretty much ver- verbatim how I thought of it. Yeah, hey, Mister DM, I got this cool magic in him, but I didn't know it came with a deadly quest. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we just defeated uh, the thing that you wanted. We're good, right? Um, well. There's a Draco Lich, just just saying. So, (laughs) 
I think we have lifted the mental weights, but the question I have for you is where can people go to find you and the things that you are up to? Oh, you can go roaming around uh, the Twitters. I'm at NerdBurgerCraig. You can go to NerdBurgerGames.com uh, to see all the uh, the game stuff that I design. Um, I'm I'm a little bit of an indie game designer in my free time, um, in, in, in my side job. Um, and uh, right now, for the next uh, few couple weeks or so anyway, you can go to Kickstarter and you can look for the Capers... RPG Kickstarter, which is ongoing, as you and I discuss uh, Dragon Souls. Yes, you should definitely go check that out. I have played it, and I, of course, had the joy of having it run for me by Craig himself, uh, with James Intercasso and Rudy Basso by my side, and it was tons of fun. And we in a in a, spe- in a special pre-convention play at a catacon before all the other people showed up. We got together oh. and played. It was fun. That was that was rough. I'm in a, I was in the wrong time zone for that. <laughs> so, if you want to get a hold of us and let us know about the amazing weapons that you're putting in your games, you can always email us at dmnastics at gmail or you can head over to Twitter and follow us at dmnastics. And of course, for everything else on our network, you can head over to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. But before we go, we're going to head to our post workout cooldown and stretch with. The light bulb. Light bulb. So, for today's light bulb, we're going to be focusing on using cards as a game mechanic. And to do that and kind of frame the idea, that is actually what Capers does. And so we have the man behind the plan right here with us. Um, so if you want to kind of also give us an idea of what capers is, and then we can kind of get into like how you came about using cards as a mechanic. Cause I think it was very interesting and a lot of fun and, you know, and something different to do. Uh, yeah. Capers is a superpowered game of gangsters in the roaring twenties. You are portraying ne'er-do-wells, gangsters, mobsters, bootleggers in, uh, during the jazz age, during prohibition when, uh, il- uh alcohol is illegal. And looking to make your fortune selling hooch to a thirsty populace, so you're uh, you know you're rum running and you're uh, you're cutting deals in back alleys and in uh, in speakeasies and uh, dealing with other rivals and dealing with the feds and the cops and you have uh, kind of little superpowers not nothing world bending nobody's uh, mind controlling an entire city or anything but uh, more street level kind of superpower stuff but of course you the the other gangster. Uh, groups, the other uh, organized crime syndicates and so forth, they have access to these as well, and as do uh, law enforcement. So it's not just shootouts in the street, but you know, with Tommy guns, it's now Tommy guns and I beams and fly, you know, people flying around and speedsters zipping by with lightning trailing behind them and so forth. That was the thing that really hit home with me was that yes, I have this power. Yes, I'm still afraid of my boss who is a human with no powers. Yeah, the game's built to, uh, like, when you even when your superpowers are kind of maxed out, a Tommy gun still really, really hurts, and a sh- as, as does a pistol or a shotgun. I mean, it's, it's, you're not just going to run around and, and just blow up every, you know, every gangster with a gun. They're, they're still going to be a threat. Which makes perfect sense in my mind. So, like I said, the main mechanic is using cards. How did you kind of come about that idea, and can you kind of give some, like, 
almost like a little quick breakdown of how that works in the game. Uh, well, the idea came out of um, basically, you know, I was generating, creating this, this, this game and I had kind of the, the outline of the setting kind of figured out, you know, what the game was going to be about. And I started thinking about, okay, well, what do the mechanics look like? And I toyed around with some ideas and I considered using um, existing mechanics that have like an open license or generating my own mechanics or even using um, the dice system that I developed for the first game, Murders and Acquisitions, which is a very simple dice system. But I'm also fond, you know, of, of playing cards getting used in other games and particularly like Deadlands. Um, if you've ever played the original mm-hmm. Deadlands, there was quite a, you didn't, you use dice, but there was quite a bit of playing cards. Um, that worked that worked into it, and I thought, well, what about what if uh, you know if we get playing cards to do the whole you know to do all the heavy lifting, no dice at all. So I just started tinkering around with ideas, and it kind of seemed to fit the idea of organized crime because not only are they selling illegal alcohol, they're also you know they got illegal gambling dens, you know, along with all all sorts of other things like prostitution and racketeering. So the gambling side of thing, and you know the speakeasy with you know the speakeasy casino kind of fit the mold of like, you know, where we should be using playing cards. And so I started toying around with a few different ideas and ultimately came up with a mechanic that I ended up using, which um, is sort of a, uh, a press your luck kind of betting mechanic. When, like when you make your trade checks, you're, you're making some active choices and actually betting on failure or success with each check. Basics, uh, the, the, real, the, the real short version of the mechanic is that whenever you try something, you're, you're using a trait or sometimes it's based off of a power. And you will have a number of cards that you'll be able to flip. And, you know, it might be one, it might be three, it might be four. And you've got a, a, a target, well, you flip a card. And when you make the flip, you look at the card and it's the, the pip value of the card, you know, two, three, four, all the way up to ace high, is, determines a success or failure. So you might need an eight or better to hit uh, to succeed at the check. You might need a jack or better. But the suit of the card determines the degree of success or failure. And clubs is always the worst, going alphabetically up to spades, which is always the best. So, for example, you might flip the king of clubs. King is almost certainly successful because it's a very high card. But the clubs, clubs is the worst suit. So you're barely successful and there's going to be some sort of a complication with that success. So do you stick with that card or do you flip another one um, and hope to get uh, success with a better degree, with a better suit? Uh, but potentially, you know, risking failure as you do it. And you have a limited number of cards, so there comes a point where you run out. And you can always, you can keep flipping cards, taking the newest card flipped, and stop when you want to, or you stop when you when you don't have any more flips available, and then, you, then you're stuck with whatever the last card was. So each time you're you're looking at that card, you're you're gambling a little bit. Yeah, that was definitely the the feel the feel and stress of actual gambling without quite as much on the line. Because like you said, with a king, okay, I get it, but is getting it and getting in measure of failure with it, is that not good enough? Or do I want an ace? Because you I mean essentially it's like a critical hit. But then I mean even still that, like if it's an ace of clubs versus an ace of spades, like just all the numbers like <laughs> running through your mind of do I have three cards left, but should I use oh and yeah, just that constant, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah, and then on top of it, you've got just like at any you know gambling table, if you've ever played craps or something, you've got the people next to you giving you advice on mm-hmm. whether or not you should flip more cards. And if you're paying attention, you can kind of be card counting and you have a general sense of what's left in your deck. Like you know, I've blown through a lot of low cards, so I'm going to start. You know, my chances of seeing high cards are greater here. So should I gamble a little more based on uh, mm-hmm. the expected outcome of the card flips? Yeah, there's a. Uh, 
And then you get, you know, some some people are very um, conservative players and they'll flip until they get a success. And if it's just barely a success, that's good enough. Yep. But but so they'll they'll contribute a lot, but they won't always be big. And then you get really aggressive players who are like, you know, it's it's hearts or better or bust. <laughs> and uh they, they will they will fail more, but when they do succeed, it'll be much bigger. Oh, it's so it's so good. <laughs> Cause correct me if I'm wrong, the ace what is like a critical? Um, ace is always um, like a boon. That's right. When, when there's there's different ways that you get boons, and so you not only succeed, but it's like an extra good success. It's called a boon, and an ace is always a boon, even if it's ace of clubs. An ace of clubs is going to be a success with a boon, but it's going to have a complication with it. Whereas the ace of spades is going to be like super good. Yes, definitely. Oh, it's, oh, it's so good. It's such a good. <laughs> it's such a good mechanic because it does. I mean, it's almost like. I mean, part of it bakes in. The idea of the guy like the dice behind the Star Wars from Fantasy Flight, you know, like succeeding but having disadvantages, and you know, that that success but not is such a cool concept. And you know, it's also like the kind of longer turn, you know, longer coined, um, failing forward, things like that. But it's such a cool mechanic to add into any game, nonetheless, be the main mechanic for an entire game. So Definitely, you need to go and look at Capers and help fund it even more. Because at the time of this, if I if my memory serves me, it's already two hundred percent funded, two hundred thirty or two hundred thirty percent, give or take, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, we're we're way up there. It's it's doing well. Do we still have stretch goals we could break? Oh yeah, we're uh, as we as we record, we are three hundred or so dollars away from uh, the third stretch goal. Um, and you know, as we're recording, we're just like a day over a week, you know, we're what, eight days in. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's still over three weeks of, of Kickstarter left as we record, Yep. you know, there's probably still at least a couple of weeks by the time you're listening to this. Yep. Um, and we may be further down the road there. I hope we are. Yep. So awesome. yeah, it's, it's in really solid shape. I've been, I was, I was very surprised at the, the game funded in six hours. I was not expecting, um, a little bitty card game, you know, or a little bitty card based game, um, from like, you know, a little bitty uh, studio or uh, game design studio. And it's my second game. You know, I, I did not expect it to flip over that quickly. I figured I'd, I'd fund in a few days, but I didn't think it would happen in six hours. I'm not going to let you get by with saying flip over intended or not. <laughs> well played, sir. Yes. Uh, but definitely, definitely go check this out because I feel that there's, you know, as with kind of the light bulb and taking your supplements, we're focusing on things that are new, interesting, and things that you could take into your own game. And I think there's a lot, not only that Capers has to offer, but also just concepts that you could incorporate into your D&D game. But with all of that, we'll turn out the lights and head out of the gym. But before we go, I want to implore you, the listener, to join up on the forums and take parts in these challenges and exercises, as well as all the other conversations being had. To do that, head over to Dungeon Master Block. Uh, .freeforums.net and try some DMnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? Can I trust you or add your own cardio? Yeah, no, don't put me down for cardio. What are you doing? Horizontal running. <laughs>